If you'd open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's bow for prayer. Fathers, we worship you this morning. It is our habit to worship you through the reading, the study, the proclamation of your word. It is our desire, Father, to submit ourselves to your word. We hunger, Father, for your word. We want, Father, your word to change the way we think, the way we live. We want our lives, Father, to be filled with the wisdom of God, to be able to give the wisdom of God. Father, we may receive the blessings that you have for us and experience the great joys that are, that are to be ours. And so, Father, as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians, we ask you to bless us in this way. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us understanding, understanding of your word, understanding of ourselves, understanding of others, that our love for you, for your word, and for others would increase. We thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I begin reading in verse 4. It reads, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As we begin this section, we'll be going a little slower, mostly because there's a great deal of confusion about gifts. There's a lot of bad understanding and teaching and theology about gifts. And then along with that, sometimes we get so caught up in making sure that we understand the gifts correctly that we can miss some of the points that Paul is making to the church. So we want to make sure that we, that we kind of grab these things and understand what it is that Paul is getting at. We do want to have a good handle on gifts. Uh, I think that um, as we work our way through it, some of the things that I, I, I think I will say will, may be a little different than maybe what you've heard before. Don't worry, it's nothing radical. You know, I've not suddenly become a flaming charismatic and I'm going to be wearing a Benny Hinn suit. That's not going to be happening. But the idea is, is that as we approach this, we want to make sure that we're really you know, absorbing the, those things that Paul is dealing with. And, and I think that uh, there may be some ways in which we think about these things in the church and people that we know and how we are to relate to each other and to God and what the gifts are for. Uh, I think there's some things that we need to look at that will help us uh, to understand maybe more fully what it is that Paul is getting at and will help us then in our lives. Again, Paul here in chapter 12, he is clearly emphasizing the diversity of the gifts. And it would seem that the reason why he, that, that one of the reasons why he is emphasizing the diversity 
is it appears that in this church in Corinth, they don't appreciate the diversity. They're not really respecting that. Remember, there's been a lot of, we've already uncovered a lot of division in the church, and it continues in this area. There were those who were simply using uh, spiritual gifts or identifying spiritual gifts that if an individual possesses certain gifts that made them either more important or made them more spiritual. Some of these individuals may have been flaunting that and, and expressing it outrightly. Some may have been only thinking that in their minds, a still a, a sense of superiority to others because of whatever gifts they had, kind of patting themselves on the back. And there's no place for that in the church. And so that, that's part of the difficulty. Part of the problem here is the way the gifts are being viewed. So it's not just misunderstanding the gifts themselves. It's this aspect of it. And so again, as we look at this, we need to keep that in mind. In the exercising of their gift, uh, they were then contributing to the discord. In other words, if an individual believes they have the gift of teaching, let's say that they do. And let's say that they possess, maybe subtly, but one that can still be picked up on, some arrogance because others don't have that gift. It's going to affect not only the way that gift is used, but the way that gift is received by others, the way that it's perceived. That the arrogance that is there uh, can cause greater discord in the church. And so we, we need to make sure that we keep that in our minds. God is always very concerned with our unity. Now, it is never to be a false unity. It's never to be that we just pretend we don't have differences and we pretend to smile and we grin and bear it. What God genuinely wants from us is that we genuinely love each other and that we genuinely embrace each other with all of our flaws and differences and gifts. Because it is the relationship that we have with each other that is, that is seen by others that I believe God uses to empower the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the message of Jesus Christ, don't misunderstand me, the message of Christ, the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation. But God has designed the communication of the gospel so that greater credibility is given to that message in the eyes of the non-believing world by its effects on those who believe it. And so the way we get along is of utter importance. It's of great importance. And so that's why we must recognize that. So again, this is not where you may recognize that you maybe don't have, you're not embracing each other as we ought to, and we do it in a phony way. Now, I'm not saying to just state whatever you feel, because that can be divisive as well. But what I am saying is never be satisfied if that's what you're doing. What we should desire in ourselves first, because I know we want this in others, is a genuine change of heart. We need to genuinely be able to do this. So it may be that you may need to confess your sin to your husband or wife or close Christian friend that, and you don't, have to, you don't even have to get into the particulars of who it is you're not liking or whatever it is that bugs you about other believers. 
But we need to deal with our heart because our heart is the problem. It is not that other person. It is not the way they express themselves. The way they express themselves may be irritating to some degree, but we are to be, in a sense, above that. We are to be able to look beyond that because we have the love of Christ, which Romans tells us has been poured into our hearts. In the same way we do it automatically, at least most of us do automatically, with children. If some child, and you get to know them, and let's say they don't always express themselves in the best way, we have a a natural tendency to overlook that because we understand. We need to be able to carry that empathy towards adults as well. Even though we're probably thinking they should know better. They may not know better, or they may be unable to help themselves in this way. Remember, every single human being is born in sin, with a natural tendency to not only sin, but to suppress the truth of God. They are therefore naturally unhappy people. They are living in rebellion to God. And that also further affects their attitude, their emotions, their psyche it affects them psychologically so they are enslaved to sin that's what the bible teaches and so we need to make sure that we are able to empathize because they are in the exact same spot we were at one time and we who are no longer enslaved to sin still sin we know how powerful sin can be and so we we need to remind ourselves of those things that's why often the songs that we sing the way that we pray, the reason why sin comes up often, it is all those things are done to remind us that the struggle is still great, that, this is, that, that sin is still the great enemy of God, and that when I give in to sin, I am joining forces momentarily with the enemy of God, and I, and I don't want to be in that position. I don't want to be acting in that way. So again, these things in that we're looking at, I believe are of vital importance Again, Paul's commendation of love as being superior to all the other gifts, which we will get into eventually in chapter 14. Um, uh, He's going to give some extensive thoughts concerning that and tongues, and we're going to to look at those things, and so we're not going to to gloss over them, but we want to make sure that we have this foundation continually in our mind as we think through them. So again here, Paul is introducing the subject of spiritual gifts And again, he is emphasizing their diversity and their common source. So the first paragraph of this discussion begins and ends with this inclusion. The same spirit. That is the theme. It is stated. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, or the same spirit gives them. A.T. Robertson, who is a Greek scholar, or was, he's, he's passed on now, says this. This theme, which the diversity of gifts, same spirit, is presented forcefully in three staccato sentences marked by a repetition and variation. In the Greek, and this is in verses 4 through 6, in the Greek, each sentence begins with the same word. All right, so the order in the Greek is, is different than how we read things in English. And so in the Greek language, if you were, if you were reading it in the ESV, basically the word varieties uh, is first in each of those phrases. So whether it's the word varieties or differences or diversities, uh, basically Paul is, in a sense, shouting out his recognition 
uh, and the recognition that is to be given to each of the varieties of God's gifts. This word can be translated again, distributions or assignments or apportionments. So you could basically say that there are varieties of gifts that are assigned by God. That is what he's emphasizing because they are not including that thought in their thinking. So not only are there varieties of gifts, but there's also varieties of services and activities. And that's all based, the wording of that is based on on the ESV that we read this morning. So let's take a look at those words, gifts, services, and activities. Because they're going to help us uh, to give us, again, a foundational understanding of, of gifts before we get into the specifics of the gifts themselves. So the first word, gifts, is, is the word charismata. It's where we get uh, our word uh, gift from, and it's where, when we talk about the charismatic movement, whether it's those who are extreme in the charismatic movement or those who may not be quite as extreme, that's the word that's used there, because the emphasis is usually gifts. So it's really a word that's used by Paul a great deal. Um, it's used to designate something that is freely given. Uh, it is a particular and a concrete actualization of God's grace. Again, remember, so it's a gift then. It's something that you're given that you have not earned, that you don't deserve. So all, all, the, all of the uh, reasons then why you and I may have or may not have certain gifts, all those are in the mind of God because he's the one who solely determines that. We don't determine that. In the book of Romans, in chapter 6, verse 23, the same word is used. It's used in the singular Uh, Because it's referring to the gift of salvation. So that's just how that word is used. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul regularly uses the word to mean a a special capability which the Spirit of God bestows upon his people. So the word services uh, or the word ministries, uh, depending on what translation you're you're using, comes from another Greek word which is diokonai, which is where we get our word deacon from. And so what we need to remember is that in the mind of Paul, and maybe in many of the writers, one of the things that's emphasized in the Gospels and then emphasized in the life of the believer is the servanthood of Jesus and the servanthood of his disciples. That's one of the prominent themes in the New Testament. The idea that we are a body of believers and we are to serve each other. Even when it comes to uh, our understanding of what it means to be a leader for Christians within the context of the church, The leader is always to be a servant. He's not a dictator. He's not the king. He's not a president. He's not a CEO. He is truly to be serving others. Uh, And that's the way that we evaluate uh, leaders, at least the way that we should. So Paul speaks about his own work and about the works of others. Uh, It is is a word that's used, I guess you would say, in the subdivision of the gifts. Uh, And so it's just another indication of, of how these gifts are used or what they are to be used for. Then you have the word activities. Uh, The Greek word is where we get our word energy from. Uh, They are attributed to God who works all things. So Paul, he's not always consistent in using the same terminology when he speaks of the spiritual gifts, but that's because it's a very broad thing, and he's trying to get us to understand the many-sided aspects of, of, of this and what he's getting at. So he's not being inconsistent because he's wishy-washy on what they are, but because there's there's multi-facets, a multitude of facets to this whole issue. So when it comes to gifts and services and activities, uh, now I do think it's a little more than just rhetorical, because some think, oh, it's just a rhetorical gimmick he's using. I don't think that it's that. 
Uh, but I don't think we should get so hung up on one of those things that we exclude the others. Because all of these things are representing the manifestation of the Spirit of God. Okay? So that's what it is. And our relationships with each other, the unity that we talk about, what God desires is for others to see the manifestation or the revealing of the Spirit of God. We can say we want them to see God in us. That's, that's, all that's the same thing. We want them to see God in us. Now, that doesn't mean that the first time someone visits the church and sees how we communicate, that within five minutes they drop to their knees and they repent because they can see God in us. Now, if that happened, that would be great. But I do think that what at least should be happening is that as, whether it's a new believer, a, you know, a, uh, a believer who's maybe not walking with the Lord as they ought to, or a non-believer, when they come into our midst, even though we want them to be aware that we really focus on the Word of God and we want to submit to the Word of God, that's going to be important to them and it's going to be seen by them when they see how we apply the Word of God in our relationships with each other. So again, when I, and now, again, let me just kind of throw this in there. When it comes to unity, remember that never means that we do not disagree. doesn't mean that. If we never disagreed, I'm not sure the Spirit of God would be seen in, a, in as a genuine sense than if we did have disagreements. Because what people need to see is either how we overlook our disagreements or how we work out our disagreements. That's why it's so shameful and harmful that when there's a disagreement, people leave the church. That's actually harming the gospel presentation of Christ when that happens. That's why we have to be very careful. So if all of a sudden Robert and I, remember he's on the front row, so he always gets picked on. All right? But if Robert and I begin to have some, let's say it's a major disagreement. I don't know what it would be, but let's just say we have this major disagreement. And let's say that through the process, he becomes so miffed with me, he wants to leave. That's probably sinful. Now, that's not excusing any sinful thing I'm doing. Right? I, may, I may be and probably am in sin. The way, it could be the way that I handle it, the way that I speak. All those types of things may be sinful. But him then becoming miffed and then he and his wife leaving not only is sinful, but it may have lingering effects on the gospel message itself. It diminishes that. We're not allowed to feel sorry for ourselves. not allowed to take our ball and go home. We have to work it out. Period. We must. And it is often, I think I can say that, that our lack of maturity in the Lord, that's where it comes out. Is that. We might even think, well, you know, I can overlook a lot of things, but I can't overlook that. Now, I will agree that there are some things that may be irreconcilable that doesn't mean we still can't get along and love each other, but then when it comes to the area of doctrine, now that's where doctrine is supposed to divide. Now, if we're disagreeing over the details about the return of Christ, even though we're different, that's not to divide us. But if it comes down to what we would call the essentials of the Christian faith, those things that necessarily directly affect the gospel and the person of Christ, now there is a real problem. 
and someone should leave. If I'm believing and teaching the wrong thing and I'm not going to you know, repent of it, then he, he should leave. Or if he's not going to change, not only will he leave, we may have to ask him to leave. I can assure you that's not going to happen because I know where he is in the gospel, so we're good. All right? But, the, but, that, but that's, that's the issue. So, again, we need to recognize that. So there is this, again, as you read through the scripture, when it comes to our lives as Christians, God truly desires you and I to continue to mature as believers. To where we get to those points, we can work through them, though they may be very difficult. And, and if you have to, you may just go ahead and quote uh, the Bible where it says, you know, with, uh, with man these things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we really can work through them and love each other as we ought to. Because it's not dependent upon our love for each other. It's dependent upon the love that God has poured into our hearts and lives. So we need to make sure that we keep that in mind. So again, verse 7 summarizes what he's been saying in verses 4 through 6. And he introduces the enumeration of gifts. That is, each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. For the common good. So the word manifestation, I already kind of hinted to you as to how uh, it's to be used or how we are to think about it, which is the idea that we are revealing to others or we are, others are, are, it's being manifested to them, the spirit of God, the nature of God, who God is, the character of God. It's dealing with disclosure. It can be, the way that it's used here in this verse, it can be subjective in the sense that the spirit is disclosing or revealing himself. Or it could be objective in the sense that the exercise of the gifts are revealing the Spirit. It could be that both really are in play here. That both those ideas is what's going on. Moreover, this manifestation has a purpose. It states there it is for profit or for the common good or for some useful purpose. That's really important, again, as to why those gifts are given. It goes back to, again, our interaction with each other. You, you can't practice your spiritual gift in isolation. It is an impossibility. And I would even say that it becomes a little more difficult to practice your gift outside of the church. Now, that's not impossible, but I would say that if it's not being practiced in the church, it may be that whatever you're doing outside the church is more, is, it's phony. Because... One of the things about a church is kind of like a family. You really can't get away from each other. So you're forced in the most difficult times to express the love that, that God has poured into our hearts for each other. It's, it's easier often for us to show kindness and love towards strangers. The person I'm never going to meet again. They don't have time to grow on my nerves. But when we see each other all the time and begin to... to see the quirks in our personalities and maybe the weird things we think about or the weird ways that we think or whatever habits that we have, that's when it can, be, it can begin to wear on you, you know, because we allow whatever's going on with them. Uh, and again, it may not be them, but what happens, it begins to kind of erode our natural ability to control our emotions. And again, I, I think that in the beginning, to control our emotions in that way is not a bad thing, but what we want to get to is to where that which produces our emotions, our hearts and minds, changes. So then it truly no longer grates on me. So one of the evidences of our growth as Christians is, and, and not that you would pronounce this to others, because again, that might not be a healthy thing to do, 
But if an individual here has some kind of a habit or things they do that grate on you, and you recognize that that used to grate on you and it no longer bothers you, that's maturity. That's the work of God in you. Because normally when, think, when people do things that grate on us, we don't want to tolerate it and change it. We want them to stop. We want them to change. Well, what happens if they don't ever change? We're, the commands of God are still the same for us. And so we need to make sure that we, we recognize that. Later on in chapter 14, you know, Paul does again lay down the principle that Christians are to seek spiritual gifts. And I believe when he says that there, and we'll, we'll get to the details of it later, but I believe the, the details of that basically is uh, in, in seeking the exercise of gifts. This isn't asking God to give you a gift, but the church is to seek them at the, the, these gifts to build up the church. So again, what he says here is he's, he's excluding any kind of a self-serving attitude in the exercise of the gifts. There, is, there can be no ground for pride in respect to what is really entirely a matter of grace. So when it comes to the spiritual gifts, he, he gives examples of the spiritual gifts. He lifts nine of them. Let me just say this briefly because we're going to get into the details later. Um, uh, these differences... That, 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 are, that are listed here and also in Romans, I'm not sure that, this, that these are complete lists. In other words, when you look at all the different lists, I don't think that's all the spiritual gifts there are. I think there's more. I'll explain that more later and, and, and you'll begin to understand that, but I think that, that would be helpful. But again, there are varieties of these gifts. Now, if some people try to group these gifts together in different ways. You can do that if you want to. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm not saying it's the only way to look at them. Uh, some will say that when it comes to this list, you know, Paul puts tongues last. They say, well, that means it's the least important. Maybe, maybe it's last because that's the one he's got to deal with in detail. So we, we want to make sure we're not jumping to conclusions there. Uh, so again, I don't believe that the Bible records every single possible spiritual gift there is. But as I mentioned, you're going to have a better understanding of that as we kind of move our way along. But also what, what I want you to keep in mind is this is that um, when it comes to these spiritual gifts, even for those of us who possess the same gift, there is great diversity of that gift. In other words, they're, they're just like, for example, in a, in a church, so let's say there's the, the guy who's preaching, and we may say, well, he's got the gift of teaching. That doesn't mean no one else has the gift of teaching. It doesn't mean that. Now, I do not believe there's such a thing as a gift for teaching children. That's not a spiritual gift. Either you have a gift of teaching or you don't. But the way that that gift is expressed, there will be those who will be teaching children, those who will be, who will be doing you know, discipleship, maybe one-on-one -on -one or small group. There will be those who will be preaching. There will be all kinds of ways that gift is expressed because he's already talked about you know, the varieties and the diversities and the activities and those kinds of things. So you don't want a church where, only, where each gift is represented by only one person. That, that's not... We, we, we need several who have the gift of teaching, as well as several who have the other gifts as well. So when it comes to these ministries, uh, and, then, and then even when it comes to that, I do believe that there are those who have, and I'm not sure quite how to say it, but I guess you would say differing degrees in the sense of, you know, there are certain preachers who have very large ministries, are able to reach just an incredible number of people. They are clearly very gifted in many ways. And not every preacher can preach that way. Not every preacher is going to be able to reach that many people. 
That's okay. We have to be okay with that. Preachers don't have to run around being jealous of guys who have big churches or small churches or big ministries or small ministries. That part doesn't matter. God determines all of that. You just have to recognize that, and we should be grateful for that. There shouldn't be any jealousy when it comes to that. So we want to keep that in mind as well, uh, when it, as again, he's emphasizing the, the differences and the diversities uh, that is here. When it comes to these, the gifts that, that he's uh, talking about here, again, the, we know that the Corinthians were very fleshly, and so they were really into power and to wisdom. Uh, so when Paul begins to work his way through these gifts, it's not always precisely clear as to what those gifts are. I think we can have a pretty good idea but he's not as, as precise as maybe sometimes we would like him to be. But again, we all have a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. We are, and too often this is how the spiritual gifts are approached. Too often someone will say this. Well, we all have to study the spiritual gifts. We are to study uh, the scriptures to find out what the list of options are. Then we must determine what our gift or gifts are and then develop them. After we develop them, then finally we are to find a ministry where our gifts can be put to use. That's a very Western American way of approaching the, the scriptures. I don't think that that's how it's presented. And I think that if you do it that way, you probably won't be of much use to the church for a long time. And that's not, I don't think that's how it's presented. There is maybe a little bit of truth to that to a degree, but I don't think it squares with everything that Paul is saying. If all the spiritual gifts are not listed, again, as I said, there's other gifts as well. The gifts are not neatly defined, such as word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, which we will get to. Further, the form of these gifts, you know, ministry and the fruit, the results of the gifts are not the same for those who have um, the same gifts. So let me make this suggestion. I've, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say this again. God has given to all of us a number of clear commands and we are to live in obedience to those commands. And we are to serve each other, whether you know what your gift is or not. And I think you'll understand that even more fully as we get done. But you don't have to wait around to find out what your gift is. I'm not sure there's a real... I can tell you this. Taking a psychological test to figure out your gift is not the way to go. And I, all of the... All of the you know, that you can go online and find them. They have these tests you can take to find out your spiritual gift. Those are just mimicking various forms of psychological guess, a, 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 a psychological test. That's not the way to do it. So if you, if you want to do it, do it. It's America. Uh, but you're wasting your time. It may lead you down the wrong path. Uh, not away from God necessarily, but, you know, you might be thinking you have a particular gift and you don't. But turn to Romans 12. Because this is what God has commanded all of us to do. And I think if we pursue this and submit ourselves to this, then the rest of it really will take care of itself. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, this is the area of Romans where it's primarily application. There's still some doctrine here, but it's primarily application. And look at what Paul says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so if we begin by focusing on these commands, and we obey them in whatever circumstances God brings our way, I think that we won't have to be worrying about the gifts and what gifts we may or may not have and how we are to serve each other because we'll find ourselves automatically doing that. I believe in the process of obeying his commands, we will discover that God has given us a ministry. We will discover that God has given us a place of service. So again, rather than waiting to know our gifts and then seeking to serve God in his church, let us do the things that God has commanded, trusting him to empower us and to produce supernatural results through his spirit. We should give priority to those aspects of ministry which God has given us, in which the power of the Spirit is evident. That does not always mean success as the world defines success. It is where spiritual fruit has been produced, where the gospel has been proclaimed, and God has been glorified. So don't agonize over the name or the label of the gift. Strive to develop the gifts that God has given us and employ them as good stewards of the grace of God. And so I'll end with 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, be, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In this, make sure you're careful to never take credit for what God has accomplished through you or take pride in God's work in you. Never measure anyone's spirituality or your own by whatever gift or gifts they may or may not have. Be confident that if you are a Christian, God has an important place of service for you, and he will provide you with all the means necessary to fulfill your calling. Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts assure us that the body of Christ needs us. The body of Christ here needs you, and the body will suffer without you. Spiritual gifts then enable us to do what God requires of us. How we can thank God that God will never leave us alone or without his enablement. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, once again, that we can see clearly that you are actively involved in our lives. You enable us. You give us gifts. You give us opportunities to serve each other. You give to all of us the opportunity to serve each other that we may together and collectively get, lend credibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So as well as fathers, the individuals that come along our way that we can share the gospel with. Father, we can invite them to see how it is that we get along with our friends, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they can see the strength and the depth of the gospel of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be about your business in this way. Then, Father, there may be those here today who have never really felt a part of the body because they aren't. They know about the gospel. They've never embraced the gospel. They've never placed their entire trust in the person and work of Christ. They're hoping that their attendance or even hoping that their service to others will earn them the right to be considered worthy of heaven. We ask, Lord, that they would recognize by the uh, teaching of your spirit that that will never, ever be the case. That all of us here, regardless of our gifting, regardless of what it looks like, all of us here that are believers are going to get into heaven because of your goodness and because of your grace, that we are all together just simply trusting in you. And for that, Father, we thank you. And we pray that we become abundantly clear to those who don't know Christ. And we ask, Lord, that they will call upon Christ and be saved. Father, we thank you once again for your grace in our life and the fact that you are involved each and every day. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.